0: The disparity between urban and rural economies in Africa continues to widen. And this week on Africa Inc., we take a closer look at the role entrepreneurship within the context of empowerment could be playing in achieving both government's economic and sustainable development goals. Welcome to the show with me, Alicia Seckham. Entrepreneurship and small rural business development have been touted as conduits for accelerating job opportunities as it creates alternative employment opportunities outside Africa's urban centres. But despite the ambition, there are quite a few stumbling blocks to roping in this level of economic participation. On the list, a lack of education and skills, limited financing options and access to markets. So how does the continent start making rural entrepreneurship work for it on a sustainable basis. Paula Nagler, who's researcher at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, will be sharing some perspective on the current state of play and what needs to be done to take things up a notch, moving the enterprising activity we are seeing beyond the realm of agriculture in a bid to foster more inclusive growth. Actually empowering those in rural communities to take action in the entrepreneurial space is amongst the keys to pushing national development and growth. Matthew DeGaulle, who operations manager at the Africa Foundation takes us through the stride they're making in intervening with support mechanisms that can scale business affording them the ability to actually compete and we catch up with entrepreneur Sufiso Mtembu, who's based in rural KwaZulu-Natal to talk us through what it's took to build his own construction business but first I'm going to hand over to Bronwyn to set the gauge on Africa's entrepreneurial spirit
1: Thanks, Alicia. Well, Africa's entrepreneurial potential is limitless. If you look at the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, it provides a look at the total early-stage entrepreneurial rate in a number of African countries. This rate essentially measures the percentage of the population that is involved in entrepreneurial activities. This sits at around 35% in Uganda and close to 26% in Ghana. If this number were to increase, entrepreneurs would play a crucial role in addressing high unemployment and poverty rates. The EY Global Creation and youth entrepreneurship survey conducted in 2015 revealed that 47% of entrepreneurs have plans to increase the size of their workforce when compared to just 29% of larger corporates but if the potential is so great the question then is why is entrepreneurship not flourishing. Skills, access to knowledge and funding are some of the stumbling blocks. The African Development Bank is looking to address these challenges specifically when it comes to youth. The bank, through its Jobs for Youth in Africa initiative, aims to create 25 million jobs, which will impact twice as many youth over the next 10 years. The AFDB believes that by fixing youth unemployment, Africa's growth can accelerate by around 20% per annum, and it sees entrepreneurship as the vehicle for generating employment as it will allow African youth to become their own drivers of economic prosperity. The bank has several plans, but one of them is to make agriculture more attractive for young people. In 2017, it invested $800 million in supporting young entrepreneurs in agriculture as a business. It targeted eight countries, and this year it plans to extend that to 15 countries. The AFDB also plans to up the amount it's investing in the sector to $1.5 billion a year for the next 10 years. Alicia, you'll be unpacking this in a bit more detail with your guests, so I'll hand it back to you. Thanks, Bronwyn.
0: That's right. We're going to be delving into the practicalities that go hand in hand with setting up shop when barriers to entry are sitting pretty high straight after this. So don't go away. According to research done across six sub-Saharan African countries, entrepreneurship is still weighted to the agricultural side, with only 42% of rural enterprises being non-farming businesses. And often, these enterprises don't extend beyond necessity and are not geared towards wider job creation. I caught up with Paula Nagler from Erasmus University in Rotterdam earlier this week and started off by asking her whether she agrees with studies, showing that jobs generated in the sectors where the poor work and places where the poor live, i.e. in the rural areas, are in fact more effective at lifting them out of poverty.
2: I do agree. However, the jobs that poor find in rural areas are not always the jobs that are sustainable over the long term, especially with regard to lifting them out of poverty.
0: I guess it also depends on how productive an activity or entrepreneurial venture we're looking at and how much it contributes to household income as well. So on that basis, are we in fact seeing any shift to non-farm rural enterprises or is it still very much dependent on agribusiness at this stage?
2: I cannot say how it uh, changes over time because my research together with my course of Vimnaudea has been looking at a specific year but what we do see when we compare urban and rural areas is that rural areas have on average a lower rate of entrepreneurial households and those who do operate an enterprise are on average less productive compared to their urban counterparts
0: okay with that being the result uh, let's take a look at some of the trends you've identified because over this year period you've conducted a study over six sub-saharan african countries what are some of the key themes you've spotted So one of
2: the key themes that we have seen, like beyond the ones I've already touched upon, is that still a lot of these enterprises operate in a survival or necessity kind of mode, so it means that the large majority of them are small informal businesses that operate only intermittently uh, during the year. So this means many of them operate only for six months or below, let's say, 11 months, but only about half of them actually operate during the whole year.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges entrepreneurs face in terms of being able to run their enterprises on a sustainable basis?
2: So beyond the intermittent operation that is very often correlated with um, the agricultural season. So when actually these households have to work on the field, they do not operate the enterprise. So it really means that it's more a kind of a backup option. And we do see that um, finance is an issue, but also local infrastructure and transportation. In this regard, we have data from Uganda, um, which shows that profitability profitability and a lack of finance are the major um, problems why um, enterprises are discontinued, but also other aspects such as insecurity, lack of supply, lack of demand, or labor-related such as sickness and death, are problematic for these entrepreneurial households
0: so with those being the identified hurdles then how do we start shifting things you know shifting from entrepreneurship out of necessity to actually stimulating uh, local entrepreneurial talent and subsequent growth of indigenous companies
2: so we have identified uh, various implications uh, related to these challenges One is, of course, access to finance, such as access to credit or development of local infrastructure. We also see in our research that wealthier and households and those who have access to credit, on average, operate more often uh, enterprises. (laughs) Then, of course, the condition for taking risk and managing risk are relevant. For example, um, to have uh, microinsurance for those people who want to become entrepreneurial to concentrate also the support for those entrepreneurial households that have actually the potential of having higher growth enterprises and improving competences, for example, and higher education or intra- entrepreneurship-related training, and this especially for young entrepreneurs because we also saw in our research that young entrepreneurs often face higher hurdles and young entrepreneurs are also at the core, like for the upcoming years, or should be at the core because of the large number of young labor market entrants.
0: Of course, all of this, Paula, happens within a certain regulatory framework. How would you rate stride being made in uh, formulating and adopting policies that are appropriate or supportive enough of entrepreneurship in outlying areas?
2: So It's difficult to say because, of course, we have a large heterogeneity across Africa and it's not like a one, let's say, policy that fits all. But um, what we have seen is that definitely education and training are at the core, um, along with access to finance. And then on a more, let's say, general level, we also saw that risk mitigating policies could help these um, entrepreneurial households to avoid that they enter necessity and maybe even unsustainable forms of business.
0: That was Paula Naga, who's a researcher at Erasmus University in Rotterdam. In the meantime, one of the Africa Foundation's missions is to tackle unemployment in rural communities by empowering entrepreneurs to provide jobs. The organization identifies opportunities and helps startups with funding, skills training, and by linking small businesses to supply chains so that they can actually gain access to to markets. I caught up with Matthew de Gaulle, who's the foundation's operations manager, and asked him whether the golden era of entrepreneurship has actually taken hold to survive the economic downturn of the last couple of years, or whether that's just too romanticized and idealistic a view of
3: things. I, I think it's too romanticized to talk about a golden era now, but I would hope that what we are seeing is the beginning or the, the the initial pushes to see that that kind of era emerge. I think along with the commodity price drop, you also saw um, uh, economic downturn in the West, in in developed countries, and a lot of skills returned back to africa back to, um, uh, to 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 many of the countries that we 're talking about and um, and I think that is going to provide the the start of of of, of a new era of entrepreneurship
0: The assumption is that uh, you know low growth and the lack of job opportunities will uh, bring with it uh, more of an entrepreneurial agenda, Uh, you know, that entrepreneurship should be at the heart of driving inclusive growth. So why isn't it? What are some of the challenges uh, that are faced in getting this sector in the economy ticking?
3: Well, it's interesting. If you look at some of the perception surveys on small business um, that have been done recently, you find that that where... Africa, and of course that's a very broad canvas for, mm-hmm. for us to talk about. But uh, you find that 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 where Africa scores well, if you like, is perceptions about um, about entrepreneurship. So small bu- being a small businessman is seen as being valuable in society. Um, it's seen as a good career opportunity, more higher than most of our other uh, uh, m- most other uh, sectors and areas. Um, what you also see unfortunately is that we score lower um, uh, on, on the institutional frameworks and the enabling environment to make that happen. Um, we focus largely on, on rural areas and rural communities um, and of course those challenges are just extreme. <laughs> you, 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 the, the, the enabling environment there is very limited.
0: Are you seeing a narrowing of uh, the gap though because we've been talking about these challenges for the longest while so what's it going to uh, take to actually tackle things head on?
3: So, I think the key word is is the creation of opportunities At the moment, a lot of uh, un- African entrepreneurial development is driven by necessity, and I think that we would we need to move that around and make sure that our entrepreneurs are crea- are, are, are going into that sector because. Of we're creating opportunities for them, not because they have no other options.
0: Yeah, the Africa Foundation is, of course, involved uh, with small business development and skills development across Africa. Give us a sense of the projects you're driving and some of the opportunity you're identifying.
3: Again, we work in, in fairly rural and fairly yes. isolated communities, um, At the uh, primarily linked to some of the larger conservation areas. Um, and that gives us a couple of t- immediate entry points. So we are focused on uh, Uh, industries related to tourism and which can be highly localised. Uh, We're running some really interesting work on developing the craft sector uh, uh, near those those conservation areas but we're also focusing very much on the idea that it's important to buy and source products and services locally. Um, We work with one of the leading tour operators on the continent and um, they were saying that that when they first opened some of their big lodges they would source everything would be packed on a truck and driven up from Johannesburg. Mm -hmm. Now up to 92% of the products and services that they source come from within a 50 kilometer radius so creating creation of those kinds of opportunities is how we how we will be able to overcome some of those challenges
0: beyond getting startups started it needs to come uh, hand-in-hand with skills training as well so businesses can operate sustainably and don't become part of that failure statistic that we hear uh, so often around entrepreneurship so how much of an investment are you making on that front
3: so there's two types of investment one of the the investments uh, ourselves and a lot of other organizations do make sure that, um, uh, that that uh, tertiary education is on the agenda of rural students mm-hmm. um, but even before tertiary education uh, again in, in many of the reports indicate that entrepreneurial training at school level is disastrously low in Africa mm-hmm. including in South Africa um, so on, uh, there's there's a straightforward improvement of the of, of that kind of tra- education and training the second one though and this is what we've experienced in many of our projects is that to build businesses outside of effectively survivalist businesses, whether it's in craft, agriculture, um, a significant, call it a mentoring, mentoring process is required because those skills come about through ongoing work, not just uh, academic training um, and, and that's a crucial thing for us is that some kind of mentoring is required to, b- to build businesses in these kind of environments.
0: Uh, how much emphasis do you place on actual business plans?
3: Vast. I, I can't overemphasize the amount of planning that's required to go into uh, developing an enterprise and making sure that 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 business plan is not just a, a paper document, but that is internalized by the owners mm-hmm. of the, the businesses. Often often the stakeholders are not just the owners. We're talking about communities, community development forums, boards, and all of that planning work has to be internalized and understood by, the, by those uh, stakeholders.
0: I asked the question because part of the plan would be focused on uh, target markets. So, what's your advice on reeling in customers and gaining access to markets?
3: It's a tough one. If you're in a small rural business, it's very hard to get access to those uh, to those kinds of markets. Um, I do think that where there there are interventions uh, in the agricultural space through co-ops, that can be very useful for small businesses that can't access uh, markets on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, we've seen seen it it work really well where larger businesses, larger enterprises have allowed smaller business to effectively hang on their coattails. Do you see that
0: appetite increasing?
3: Absolutely. Because there is an increasing assertiveness about communities to, to be part of that value that is being created uh, by the businesses in their area. So the response to that is to ensure that they are, 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 are coming along with the businesses in th- that are already existing there. And, and it's far, we used to do most of our work in infrastructure development, schools, clinics, that kind of thing. But increasingly now we are seeing that that the the real requirement and demand from communities is to be involved in the value creation around businesses
0: beyond that part of the reality is managing the financial side of the business you know cash flow making sure that more is coming in than going out and i guess finances are an early indicator of whether you're on the right track or not uh, where you have insights into what makes or breaks entrepreneurs uh, at that rural level what are the the key elements to growing the bottom line
3: I, I guess the people we've worked with are, are survivalists. They're good at it. Um, and But that can, be a, a, that, can, that can also stop your planning. You can actually be too conservative in some areas because you're really worried about literally putting food on the table. I, I can't emphasize enough the degree to which the training and the understanding of how business operates, focusing on cash flows, fa- face, focusing on cash in the bank, saving for the future rather than operating from a day-to-day ba- basis has been instrumental in where we've had successes and we've had plenty of failures as well in turning around small businesses and turning them into sustainable businesses rather than day-to-day operators.
0: That was Matthew DeGaulle who's operations manager at the Africa Foundation. Straight after the break we find out how one entrepreneur has managed to build his small business brick by brick so stay with us. From your average labourer to the managing director of his own construction business, Svisum Tembu, got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug back in 2007 to start a bricklaying business called Ekam Lozi in rural KZN. Fast forward to now with the help of the Africa Foundation. Ekam Lozi employs about 10 people who are involved in community building projects and even boasts a few government contracts under his belt. He joins us on the line now to take us through his journey. Thanks so much so for your time this evening so what actually saw you venture down this entrepreneurial path was it opportunity or necessity
4: no when i started it was just the passion of construction because i used to work for construction almost in the field of the 15 years in a different companies then when i come home then it's when i start to have my own company Then I start from the the passion of construction. start from uh, actually when I was working uh, at the construction.
0: That being said, you came into this business with your skill already developed, like you say, having worked within the construction sector for 15 years. So with that skill box ticked, what was the first step you took to actually starting your own business?
4: Well, uh, Africa Foundation, because they are working around the area where I grow up, then we are and I mean they used to come to the community and advertise i mean the small business people if they want to to have if you want to have a small business, then they said that if you want to have a work from them, you must be registered so that you will be able to pay a tax and the other and the other services so that you will be give them the guarantee when you're doing mm-hmm. their work. Then I start to register the company from there, then I have all the docu- all the necessary documents that was in, uh, required. Then it's where I start when they were advertising, the, they were looking at the contract that will do the two-class in, at my area. Then I put the, I fill up the form, then I have that, uh, the first work from them 2008. Then from there, uh, 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 I've been doing the work with them.
0: See, so did you have a business plan? Did you actually draw a business plan up and stick to it? Or was it just, you know, going with the flow, so to speak?
4: To be honest, truth speaking, I didn't have anything like a job because, as I said, that I was working as a general labor, and then from there I go up in a different companies. Then I, I, I finally work as a supervisor and a, a, a foreman, a, a site foreman. I call it a foreman, site foreman, on the site. <clears throat> then I didn't have any anything that was a business plan. I, I just. Have a registered company, then I'm just learning from the others.
0: with the benefit of hindsight, would you think that having a business plan is important? I mean, what were some of the challenges uh, you know you had to you had to hurdle over as you ventured down this road
4: alicia I won't lie at you i, I real we really need to have a business plan and you really need to have a, a good administration. Because uh, you have to file the, pay, I mean, the, the papers and all the invoice, and you have to, I mean, to fill up the document. You must know how to do the administration. So you really need to have a, a, a business plan. Of so now I don't, I don't have.
0: In this instance, though, you've got the Africa Foundation, of course, lending a helping hand and helping you partner with uh, building project contracts. It continues uh, to do so. So did you immediately have access to a workforce uh, as you as you uh, as you pursued some of the opportunity that did come to the fore?
4: Yes, of course. I, I, I'm willing. If they can give me the opportunity to learn and have some other, I mean, the, the other skills then I will be very, very appreciative. Because I, my, my, my main, I mean, my, my, my main project is to give the other uh, uh, people the skill. It to pass what I have to the others. But the, the only way to to do that is to have the proper way to do it.
0: At the moment, so you employ 10 people on a casual basis. So how difficult is it managing a team on that basis and actually retaining them?
4: It's very difficult uh, because uh, you, you have to go and find the work. So it's not only Africa Foundation that we are waiting for. We are also working in, in the other private sector like uh, government as well. We are doing the work for them so i i i i have that job to go to find the work so that when we finish the other job that we move to the other uh, we move to the other side
0: so what are some of the challenges you face in managing cash flow
4: uh as i said it before you need to learn more you have to know the administration so that you will know how you, uh, how you how you how how you how you keep your cash flow how you how you manage your your, your financial all those things So, by the way, lucky enough, when I was in high school, I was doing economics and uh, business economics. So, uh, uh, I'm just doing it like that. Ten years
0: uh, on, what do you see it taking, Swisso to grow this business consistently on a sustainable basis?
4: Well, if I can have uh, enough funds to have uh, uh, sustainable uh, constructions, uh contractors like if i can have some in in the big uh, companies when i can have the subcontract all, all those things then i can have sustainable uh work with my people so that uh, all my stuff will i mean doing the work for i mean i'll i'll, I'll employ them permanent
0: yeah that was Svisum Tembu, who's Managing Director of Fekam And from one entrepreneurial story onto another elsewhere on the continent, a young entrepreneur on the outskirts of Cameroon is making waves with her snail cleaning and processing business in the West African nation and abroad. Let's take a look at this report.
5: They might be moving slow, but these snails are selling out fast in Cameroon. This entrepreneur got a break after cleaning a batch for a friend as a favour. She posted some photos on Facebook for fun and realised there was a big market out there.
1: I uploaded them and I was like, OK, if you're interested in snails, contact me. It was a joke. Honestly, it was a joke. I wasn't serious because I didn't have snails at home, neither was I like, expecting any results. So the moment I put it online, I realised within an hour my phone kept on beeping notifications, messages.
5: Appetite for snail is certainly not sluggish in West Africa. They're a popular delicacy, but not many people know how or are willing to clean them, especially in urban areas. It's a slow and tedious job, and this is where Nina's slow boys come in. And it's very easy for you to get it Within
1: 24 hours, when you call, the services are very reliable. There's, you can just sit at home and you make just from a phone call and the next day the the
5: snails are being delivered to you wherever you are. 29-year-old Nina has turned the process into a profitable venture and has improved the life of workers along the way. Nina sells around 30 kilos of snails each month at $37 a packet. She delivers across Cameroon and has customers abroad too, including in the UK and Belgium. Her online business is growing and she has plans for further expansion. She wants to start her own snail farm to maintain the stock, even in the dry season,
0: when business moves at a snail pace. And that's a wrap for this week's Africa Inc. But you can catch us same time, same place next week. From me, Alicia Sekem, and the rest of the team, it's goodbye for now.